From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. And a big howdy to all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations. Those of you catching the podcast at TalkZone.com. Those of you who take the show with you wherever you go on your mobile device with the Conspiracy Show app, free download. Those of you watching the live stream on YouTube, and just a reminder, we've set a a modest goal of 10,000 subscriptions by the end of 2017. I believe we're closing in on about 5,900, almost at 6,000. So uh, help us out. Please check out the YouTube channel, theconspiracyshow.com, or sorry, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, and hit the sub button. Tell your friends and your co-workers. All right. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. This half hour, open lines, open lines till the bottom of the hour. Let me give you the numbers, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740. That's the greater Toronto area, and toll free from just about anywhere, one 866 740-4740-866-740-4740. And also, we'll, um, we'll welcome questions and comments from those of you who are in the live chat for the, uh, the YouTube live chat for the YouTube channel. Uh, just a reminder, if you missed the big announcement at the, uh, the bottom of the hour, we are going back to the old format. Starting next week. So we'll have longer uh, form interviews. Top of the hour, uh, 11 o'clock Eastern, one interview for the whole hour. And primarily do the same with the uh, the second uh, hour, one guest. From time to time, not every week, but from time to time, we'll, uh, we'll do some open lines. And as for our weekly remote viewing experiment, uh, the future of that remains, uh, well, it's TBA. We'll let you know. Uh, but uh, we heard you loud and clear, your, your comments, emails, uh, saying that you're, you're not happy with the new format. So back it goes to the old way. And that's fine. We want to make you happy. All right. Uh, let's see. Why don't we f- uh, dive into the lines here and hello to... Uh, let's see. We have Randall. Randall is uh, checking in. I'm not sure. Is that is it Buffalo? Randall, are you there? Yeah. Hi, Richard. It's Randall Montgomery. Hey, Randall. Aliens and UFOs. Hey, great to hear from you again, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I actually have some good news. You know how uh, one of the uh, concerns you have is that the mainstream media seems to always completely ignore everything that you talk about. Um, well, or if they do talk about it, they do sort of in a derisive um, uh, tone. Yeah, well, the National Post newspaper last week had two articles, uh, one one day and the the other the other day. Uh, the second one was about the 50th anniversary of the huge UFO sighting at Shag Harbor, ah, and they yes. interviewed Chris Stiles, and it was almost a full-page article. Interesting. And it was very, uh, very positive. So that's that's good news. Well, it is certainly one of that's true. It is good news. That's one of the most perhaps uh, documented UFO incidents. I mean, in history, wouldn't you say? Yeah. We have. I think there are RCMP. Officers on the record 
having seen something, other local police uh, down in Nova Scotia having seen something. It was in the Toronto Sun, Albert is saying, as well. All right. Well, that is encouraging. And and they, they didn't do it with sort of tongue, tongue firmly planted in cheek. No, no. The the, uh, the tone of it was, uh, was quite uh, different from the usual. Now, the other thing was the day before in Barbara Kay's column, and she's an excellent columnist, she had an article about EMPs, electromagnetic pulses. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess and a lot of I people are talking strongly... about that since the uh, the rocket man, as President Trump calls him in North Korea, has been sort of threatening uh, to launch sort of a low-altitude uh, nuke, which could cause an EMP event, and that would be lights out North America. Well, that was the uh, the theme of her article. It's an excellent article. Uh, if I could just cite the URL in case anybody wants to look it up online like sure. I just did. You just go to nationalpost.com slash opinion, Barbara dash K. Every word has got a dash in between it. So it's Barbara K. This could destroy our civilization, but we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Which is very true. And uh, she also talks about a, a book by Toronto Sun columnist and broadcaster Anthony Fury. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correct. F-U-R-E-Y. And he just published a book called Pulse Attack, the real story behind the secret weapon that can destroy North America. So she's giving his uh, book a plug in there. And uh, she also mentions a Peter Fry who you may have heard of. He was a former staff member of American House Armed Services Committee. And she says he had dedicated the best years of his life to urging action on EMPs. And it was like crying wolf when there really is a wolf and no right. one believes you. Right. It's, and it's it, a real head scratch. the more vocal he became in pointing out weaknesses in government policies uh, regarding you know, preventing EMP attacks under Obama, the more his career suffered. And it says he and his wife literally lost the family farm as a result. It is a, a head scratcher. My, my colleague uh, at Coast to Coast AM, George Norrie, of course, has been banging this drum for many years on the, the urgent need uh, for the uh, federal government in the United States to take measures to harden the, uh, uh, the, the grid. The, um, the grid. Now, the military, apparently, their grid has been hardened, but not uh, so for the, the, the rest of us, so the civilians. And, uh, you know, it may not come in, in the, uh, the guise of a... Uh, a nuke from North Korea or wherever. It could simply be a an, a coronal mass ejection on par with the Carrington event, which happened back, I guess, in the 1850s. Nobody took notice yeah. because we didn't live in an electrified world, except you know the tele- a few telegraph um, uh, stations got fried, and I, I believe uh, there were a few injuries, but nobody really noticed. But if that were to happen today, and we've had a couple of near misses in the last several months. Uh, a, a major coronal, uh, mass coronal ejection that uh, were to hit the earth, and it could be lights out for a very, very long time. So, well, maybe yeah, maybe well, they're listening to the program. Articles, they, she she come up, somehow comes up with the estimate of 33 months. Uh, it sounds, yeah, I don't know how he could be so exact, but it would be like, a, say, three years being thrown back into the 1800s. Yes, it would be, indeed, 100%. Well, it sounds like maybe some of those folks over at the National Post are listening to the program, Randall, but thank you for uh, bringing this to our attention. You're, you're quite welcome. All right. Uh, let's say hi to, um, is it Cease in Anaheim, California? Cece. 
Hi, Cece. Hi. Hi there. Um, actually, I was um, hoping to ask a question of Dr. John Hall, but uh, I must have missed the part where he's no longer on. Is that correct? That's right. We we had him on uh, in the previous hour, but you know what? I'm, I'll, I'll bring him on for uh, an hour in the next uh, in the next month or two, and we'll we'll talk about it. But uh, what did, what were you going to ask him, Cece? I was. I know that he um, approached, or I think it was him that approached. Um, Congress. I know that Dr. Uh, Robert Duncan did, but I wonder, uh, in his, after this Cuban um, issue took place, and uh, he indicated that he did speak to some of the victims of the sonic attacks, they're calling them sonic, um, I had wondered if any of the senators or congressmen uh, have decided to reach out to him or maybe Dr. Robert Duncan or anyone regarding uh, these crimes. These are crimes. Mm-hmm, indeed. This is horrendous. Uh, people who call themselves targeted individuals like myself, um, you know, this is what they put us through is nothing short of torture. What's happening with you, CC? Can you t- can you tell us uh, uh, some details? I, it's too much. It's too much time uh, for um, for right now, and I really wasn't prepared to talk about myself except that I, I will tell you the worst of it. Um, I was systematically maimed during workers' compensation medical procedures um, from my skull down to my tailbone. On the last, uh, I had a set of three lumbar epidural steroid injections, and each time I kept getting worse. And, and uh, the second and third time, well, the second time I was told I had to be under anesthesia, which I found out later was not true. Um, I had the right to stay awake. Um, and then the third time, I was literally brutally forced under anesthesia. When I woke up, I had been maimed from my skull down to my tailbone, and then from then on, I was stalked, uh, harassed. I, I'm followed on the Internet. I'm followed on foot. I've had cars come up behind me and flash their lights for miles, not just because they want to get in front of me. Right. We're talking harassment for right. miles and miles. Uh, I've, I have gone through hell on earth just like many other targeted individuals, and if it wasn't for the organizations uh, like People Against Covert Torture and Surveillance and Freedom from Covert uh, Harassment uh, and Surveillance, I think it was. Yes, Dr. Uh, Hall is on the medical, uh, he's, a, he's on their medical board, actually, of that organization. Yes, and, and now, the, yes, yeah, so he's on the medical board. Dr. John Hall is on the medical board uh, also with the International uh, Center for Abuse Against Covert Technologies, or that's on uh, www.isaact.org, I-C-A-A-C-T.org. Well, hopefully, so, uh, uh, CC... Many, yeah. many of us out there, we, uh, you know, we're not alone. Uh, we give each other, um, you know, we've not, you know, I haven't met anyone except for uh, Derek Robinson in person. Right. Uh, and a few other TIs, um, but I now live in chronic pain because um, 
by the way, when I said that they maimed my uh, CC, I, I, I apologize. I, I have to. I have to run. Oh, absolutely, We're see, going I knew into it a was break. Going to be too long. It's going to be. That's too much. okay, CC. Listen, I'm going to get Dr. Hall on for a longer period of time, and hopefully, you'll call back and he can offer some some suggestions for you. Hang in there. I know that's easy for me to say. Uh, we'll be we'll be praying for you, CC. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, appreciate the time. Have All a right. Bye bye. More of your calls. Open lines continues on the other side. Don't go away. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Just a reminder, bottom of the hour, Will Hart joins us. Ancient alien ancestors, advanced technologies that transformed our world. Uh, And uh, right now we are uh, enjoying our open line segment. Before we go back to the calls, let me go over to, uh, to you, Ryan, and what do we have from our, uh, our live chat on YouTube? We have a, a good local question from Ubecha about pot sales legalization next year. Um, what do you think about the LCBO taking charge of those sales? <laughs> well, uh, I'm not a big fan of, uh, you know, sort of government agencies or government owned uh, entities taking charge of much. I'm of two minds on on legalizing pot. Certainly, medical marijuana. I'm I'm uh, fully in favor of. Uh, I don't think we've fully e- explored, you know, the medical benefits of marijuana. Uh, we had recently a comedian on the program last week who believes that marijuana or or cannabis oil taken as in a suppository basically cured him of stage four prostate cancer twice now that's his claim i'm not making that claim he genuinely believes that is the case so i'm all in favor of medical marijuana i'm not a big fan of legalizing pot but on the other hand i hate to see you know lives of young people destroyed because of a simple possession that may prevent them for example from crossing over the border into the united states do we really want to condemn you know, a generation uh, of people with a criminal record that will will haunt them for the rest of their lives. So that, to me, is problematic. The idea that people are rotting in prison still in the United States for possession of a couple of seeds or a couple of plants, to me, is an incredible injustice. It doesn't serve society. But I'm not necessarily a big fan of the LCBO uh, being the uh, uh, sort of the venue by which people will... Uh, uh, you know, obtain their marijuana. If, I mean, obviously, uh, it's intended to be a cash grab. If you want to legalize it and you want people to have the freedom, then you you would allow them to grow their own pot. That's not what they want, though. Obviously, they want the tax revenue. So, it's very cynical in order, you know, for them to do that. I think. Um, and what was the the second question? Another one. Well, did you oh. do anything? Uh, you know, the world was supposed to end yesterday. Did your family prepare at all? September the 23rd, uh, there was a Christian numerologist, David Mead, who was going, he was on coast to coast and so forth, and, and said that, yes, here we go again. I, and I believe it was somehow connected with Nibiru and Planet X. Uh, did I do anything to, pre- to prepare for the end of the world? Yes, I went out and I bought some really green bananas. The greenest bananas that I could find, <laughs> because I don't give these end of the world uh, prophecies any any uh, any time at all, quite frankly. Uh, all right, let's go. Thank you for that, Ryan. Let's go back to the phones and let's say hello to uh, it, Sasha is in Vancouver. Hello, Sasha. Hi, Richard. Hi there. So I'm just calling in. I wanted to 
to ask you a little bit about just, it seems to me that there is increasing polarization between the people who have a kind of like a zealous blind faith in whatever standard science says is true. And they kind of ignore and ridicule any anomalous events or uh, anomalous observations. And then on the other side, there are the people who want to kind of scientifically investigate for themselves the things that we're told are silly to even question. And so what I wanted to ask you is, how do you think we can better fight against that? Because I just see it leading to kind of zealous behavior and extremism on both sides. Can you give me an example of what you're talking about, Sasha, in terms of the scientific community? Is there a particular issue, the way that the science views it, that you that you think illustrates your point? Well, for example, um, you know, particle colliders, let's say, are taxpayer-funded, right? If you look at CERN, the Large Hadron Collider, there are some in the States as well, and they're funded to the tune of billions of dollars mm-hmm. um, over decades. And they're all predicated on the concept of particle physics and um, and the space-time as a fabric. And there are more and more physicists who have who are daring, I guess, to kind of speak out and say, well, actually, particle physics, that's, that's kind of an older model that's being replaced by these ideas of particles just being different levels of excitation and in, in, in an underlying field. But they're not, no one's listening to them because we've invested billions of dollars into these particle colliders and because all these scientists have their careers invested in this. Right. And so they, they, Science is becoming a religion where you just have to have blind faith. You can't you can't replicate the experiment. So when a scientist says, "Oh, this particle is smashing into that one," and then these are the the sub particles that are created, you can't test that. You can't verify that for yourself as a citizen. So all you can do is accept it on blind faith. Oh yes, okay, that's true. And so in that way, science has become a religion, and you can't question it. In any way, I would agree. Which is, which is, is the irony is that that's antithetical to the scientific method. Uh, yeah. So when when someone says to you the science is in, there are some cases perhaps where you can safely say that after you know of, you know thousands of years and and repeating something over and over and you you get the same result. But when someone says to you the science is in, that's always a good clue to turn on your heels and run quickly in the opposite direction. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, because again, say the science is in, the science is never in. We're constantly collecting data and analyzing and testing hypotheses and uh, hypotheses and so forth. Um, now, how does that change? Well, it's true that that that, that science has become uh, deeply politicized. Uh, you mentioned, you know, vested interests, uh, tenure, for example, in universities, and and funding uh, is often tied to a particular dogma. Uh, yeah. And so, if you challenge that orthodoxy, then you're up against, you know, this sort of almost monolithic machine. It's very difficult to do. But, but if you look, I think, at the arc of human uh, scientific development, eventually those dogmas are challenged. Maybe it's 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 very slow at first. It takes a long time. And and what I guess one of the major impediments are, you know, the those that are guarding that orthodoxy. They have to to be completely uh, sort of brutal about it, they have to die. They have to die away. And they need to be replaced by 
you know, the young, the Copernicus who is challenging that. And at first, you know, the biggest, the biggest, uh, jumps in scientific development always come from people who are labeled heretics originally or initially. There's an old saying, you know, even the mightiest oak starts off as a nut. Uh, and, and just that seems to me to be the way that, that uh, science progresses. It takes sometimes a lot longer than it should. Uh, when you consider, for example, the propeller, um, you know, the propeller was, I, I believe it was, um, uh, one of the ancient Greeks, um, trying to think of his name now, that developed the, 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 the propeller. But we didn't do anything really with the propeller for, you know, a thousand years. We had steam, uh, steam technology. We knew about steam at the time of the ancient Egyptians. Yeah. But we didn't have material science in order to know, well, you know, people were afraid of steam. How, how thick does the metal have to be to prevent, you know, an explosion and so forth? So, it took thousands of years for us to do anything with steam power. Uh, that just seems to be the way it is. And I don't know, you know, that maybe that's human nature. I don't know that there's any way around it. But eventually, the truth wins out as, you know, as water rises above uh, oil. But I, or I oil like above to, water, rather, I should say. <laughs> I'd like to challenge people to to start, I guess, investigating things for themselves, to accept less on blind faith, to make... Like, I think YouTube is a wonderful means of taking science back from the hands of this kind of religious institution that it's become and, and making it something that citizens participate in, right? Like, I'm, I make videos that challenge the globe model of Earth. And just to show people just how much they take on faith, just how much they accept without understanding the details. And I think... To me, it seems to me that rather than wait 50 years for this batch of scientists with their dogma to die off and hope that the next batch is somehow closer to the truth, I, I kind of think that it's our responsibility as, as citizens to to start challenging the dogma and and speaking out. And I think YouTube is a great way of doing that. Uh, yes, you know, that, that process that I just talked about that can take generations upon generations, I mean, that may be quickened somewhat by, by the internet and never before have we had the world literally at our fingertips. And that's, this is a clarion call for more people to get involved in science and start asking the fundamental questions and, well, why do we believe this? And, um, you know, and testing these things out for themselves. It's a great, uh, it's a great uh, idea, Sasha, and I appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's see. Do we have time for one more? Do we, can we talk to, is it Edelasi in Mississauga? Is it Edelasi? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Edelasi in Mississauga, someone who's hearing weird sounds. Going once, twice, three times. All right. Uh, let's say hello to Melanie in Toronto. Hi. Good, good evening. Morning. Good morning. Melanie. I caught the tail end of your interview. Um, did they not have a sound canyon? I believe during the G20 protests in Toronto, they were going to use yes. it. Yes. They were stopped. But yes. I'll tell you something. Our governments in North America and the Western world—they're looking for the enemy to be on the outside, which is true. It's there. But the worst kind of enemy that you can have throughout history, we've learned, is the one on the inside. And we we have institutions that are corrupt, who only are there to protect themselves 
and not the people they were set up to protect. That is a cancer in this country. And we have that in every institution, whether it's policing, government, uh, the RCMP, the local police, the teachers union, medical professions who are the medical professionals who are uh, guilty of malpractice. They're set up. And if people realize that these institutions are not protecting us, they're protecting the institution themselves. They don't even protect the members of the institution, as we saw with uh, police officers who suffered depression, who have committed suicide. Mm -hmm. They were basically told to hide and not to come to the forefront. So I think we should start looking inward as to the enemy on the inside. And as the Bible says, my people perish for lack of good and godly leadership. I mean, our governments have have absolutely fallen to pieces. They're giving into every vice. They're giving into every insanity. And 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 you know what? It's not the MP. <laughs> what is the electromagnetic pulses that are going to destroy us? It's our lack of uh, morality. It's our lack of accountability. So this is where people have to look. It's that seed of cancer of lack of accountability from our institutions. That's my opinion on the way life is going. And listen. You know, the Bible says we do not know when the end is to come, and we should not speculate on that. Exactly. Most people are too busy trying to make a living, feed their families. So, But your show is wonderful. It opens up our imagination. All right, Melanie, thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, do we have one more uh, from our live chat room in YouTube? Ryan. Yeah, we have uh, a pretty good one from Andrew here. He wants to know, if some of Tesla's technology or something could maybe cause earthquakes, have there been any sort of strange or unnatural earthquakes in the past? Um, I, I wouldn't know uh, about whether Tesla had, you know, that we, we hear about this, uh, this death ray that he had, and uh, some people believe that that may have been behind. When was it? About 1908, the, um, this huge explosion in Siberia that just leveled trees, uh, you know, for, for square miles. It was an incredible blast. Uh, seems to me now they have, they have pretty well determined that that was a, a meteorite, uh, as, as far as I know. But I, I, I know that for some time people sort of pointed to the, to Tesla's death ray. Uh, I've also heard, and Albert was mentioning this to me earlier, in fact, Nelson Thal has talked to me about, you know, the, the placing a small nuclear device in the, in the tectonic plates can cause, uh, who knows, you know, what they're capable of uh, these days. Um, Mexico, Mexico City, that earthquake wasn't centered in Mexico City, but that, that area... Um, they call those uh, the sub subduction zones. They are just they're they're not in a great spot. I mean, those the uh, underneath um, places like Mexico City, there's a lot of silt, uh, ancient oceans, and so forth, and um, it just turns to liquid. Uh, it's just it's just uh, rife for this type of seismic activity. And uh, of course, we had the the huge earthquake in Mexico. Again, wasn't centered in Mexico City. It was hundreds of miles away. Um, but because, again, because of the uh, the silt, it just spreads underground, and uh, it's and of course Mexico City has something like 20 million people. But in back in '85, I think there was 5,000 5, killed. Uh, from time to time, you hear about earthquakes that are happening in places they shouldn't happen, like Oklahoma, for example. They were having hundreds of earthquakes, and some people think it has to do with uh, fracking. This fracking uh, extraction of, uh, of oil, 
using water under high pressure could be causing some some of this. Who knows? Not my area, but we'll uh, we'll get someone on to talk about it. All right, when we come back, Will Hart, Ancient Alien Ancestors, Advanced Technologies that Transformed Our World. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, welcome back. Writer, photojournalist Will Hart is with us. Will, thanks for joining us. You're in Mexico tonight, I understand. Well, thank you, and yes, I am. I'm down in Mexico, just across the border, not very far down, so I'm not in the earthquake area. All right. But yes, I am in Mexico. When... uh, Here's a term that I, uh, I admittedly was not familiar with, and that is directed panspermia. Directed panspermia. What does that mean exactly, Will? Well, basically, uh, panspermia, let's just start with that one real quick. Panspermia is just a concept that the sea of life are out there everywhere in the cosmos and getting transported around in various ways on cosmic objects, uh, comets, uh, what have you. Directed panspermia. That has actually been around since... You're cutting in and out. Can you hear me, Will? Did we lose Will? We did. He's dropped off. All right, we'll try to get him back. Well, in the meantime, why don't we go back to our uh, our live chat? And uh, do we have any more questions there, Ryan White, while we're waiting for Will Hart to join us? It sounds like that phone line is a little shaky down there in Mexico. Yeah, no, we, we had some question from Ian. Um, he wants to know about alternative energy and why is it so slow in, in coming? Uh, because the, uh, the economic system that we have and that we all benefit from is tied to the petrodollar. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of alternatives that have been tried, but nothing packs the, the energy efficiency of good old fossil fuel. Uh, now, to me, the bigger question is, you know, why do we not have far more fuel-efficient vehicles? I, I've done a number of programs, uh, including one with a late inventor who – this was a, an idea that's been around since the 1930s. It was a carburetor uh, that was created so that you could get 100 miles per gallon. 100 miles per gallon. And a number of, of, of people have, have talked about this and, and written about this, and a number of people who – who did so actually ended up six feet under, or they disappeared mysteriously. The question as to why it takes so long, because we all have a vested interest in keeping things the way they are. When they talk about disruptive technology, it's not just disruptive to the oil company. It's really disruptive to all of us. Uh, so we all have to sort of, I guess, appreciate or understand where we all have a vested interest in it. It's not just the oil companies. It would be dis- very disruptive for us just to, you know, to suddenly do away with an internal combustion engine. Um, think about how many jobs are dependent on, on, on that, and our way of life is dependent on that. Um, I, I believe that um, oil, you know, fossil fuels will be with us for another 20, 30 years anyway. I know a lot of uh, car companies are talking about by 2034, that's it. Um, they're, um, is it Volvo, I think, by 2034? That's it. They're, n- they're not going to produce any more uh, internal combustion engines. We shall see. We shall see. All right, I think we have Will Hart back. Will, are you there? Yes, I am here. Uh, to pick up, uh, directed panspermia is actually a theory. Uh, the next step up from panspermia, 
you know, as it suggests, intentional uh, transmission of seeds or transplanting seeds by an advanced race to the Earth, two other planets, but to the Earth. And it was proposed by uh, Sir Francis Crick, who was a co-discoverer of the DNA, the shape of the DNA molecule back in the 50s. He came up, along with Leslie Orville, a biochemist, who was uh, the father of the RNA world. Right. So we're talking about two eminent scientists here who came up and proposed this back in the early 70s. Um, but there wasn't a lot of... We didn't have the, all the space program support that we do now. So they were, they were proposing this theory, and they didn't have a lot of support right then, but they were both experts in DNA. So they took apart Darwin's theory, because basically, you know, in science, you've got to, in, in order to come up with a new idea, people have to be convinced, well, why? Why do we need a new theory? So they took apart Darwin's theory and showed why it didn't work, and then proposed this, that an advanced race had seeded the Earth, of course, a very long time ago, and here we are. And uh, I mean, obviously we don't have time to get into Crick and Orgel's uh, theory of directed panspermia in, in great detail, but why couldn't it have just happened accidentally where microbial matter landed here via a, a meteorite or, or you know, uh, a comet? Well, they didn't think that it was – yeah, it could. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. They basically uh, argued that it didn't seem strong enough uh, – that there needed to be like a directing force there that that things just you know just flying around randomly uh they didn't they thought it was too that what was sent here was was too far advanced and if you look at you know the uh the intelligence theory their ideas are basically what spawned that they came up with the argument that you have uh organisms here the first ones that are found are too advanced already for for some kind of evolution to have taken place on the planet they're just like little you know little tiny machines almost right and there are leaps in there are leaps in um, in, in the development of certain species and uh, th- that are not are not seem to be reflected in the fossil record so it's almost as if something got kick-started we'll uh, we'll take a time out and uh, come back. Will Hart is with us. Ancient Alien Ancestors, Advanced Technologies That Transformed Our World. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Will Hart is uh, with us. Ancient Alien Ancestors, Advanced Technologies That Transformed Our World. This is sort of the the second uh, chapter. The first one would be Genesis Race. Will, we were talking about somehow microbial matter or more sophisticated organisms were intentionally seeded here on planet Earth in the distant past by an extraterrestrial race. I wanted to ask you, the second chapter of the book, you talk about Enrico Fermi and, of course, uh, the the Fermi uh, paradox where he says, you know, we have something like, is it 80 billion galaxies in the observable universe and, and probably more suns than there are grains of sand on all the beaches in the world. Uh, you know, given the, the the size and the age and so forth of the universe, there, somebody out there should have developed interstellar travel by now. But Fermi's point was, well, so where are they? And you say, well, there's a fly a fly in the ointment in Fermi's ointment. Explain. Yes, Fermi was uh, you know an eminent physicist, but he neglected the, to put all the data into that formula that he came up with uh, because 
scientists at that time, except for Carl Sagan, astronomer, just ignored archaeology, just ignored the, the type of evidence that, uh, that, um, I'm sorry, somebody's here right now. Um, anyway, he did not take into consideration all of the enigmatic archaeological evidence, the cultural evidence, and I'm talking about, you know, the Bible, the Sumerian text, the Enuma Elish, uh, the Dogon, uh, their oral traditions, which were all saying that, look, some other race, some alien race, the gods, came and visited us. They brought us these technologies. We didn't create any of this. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, ancient Egypt, which is kind of a... It's um, it's fascinating that, as you point out, you have Egyptian, one of the great ancient civilizations, lasted something like 3,000 years. Uh, and yet, the if you look at ancient Egypt, they didn't have any major urban centers, as you point out. They no. didn't have an understanding of civil engineering. Uh, and yet, they constructed these... these well, they, amazing, didn't, they didn't construct well, them. Yes, and, that was and my and next that's the real. That's the big issue. And that's where... You know the name of your show. I, that, that's where you start having having to think about conspiracy because you're looking at a 48-story tall precision-engineered structure. It had to be precision-engineered because the, the base had to be just as flat as as a uh, an iron frying pan. You know, because to, to to stack 204 rows with millions of blocks of stone. So that it, re- it goes up and it doesn't become all, you know, discombobulated along the way. Right. Um, you have to have precision engineering on a massive scale. And that, what I don't understand is engineers don't talk about it. Very, very few and only in recent years have a few stuck their noses out there. There seems to be such a fear of, of being ridiculed, of being held up in the public as, you know, wearing a tinfoil hat that these engineers who know better, anybody can look at that structure and go, wait a minute, don't tell me people built that with stone tools and then carried those blocks by the millions. Uh, This is the silliest proposal imaginable, and yet people have been brainwashed, literally brainwashed into believing it. And, and you have stones in there that are 70 tons. Nobody lifted a 70-ton stone up, and they didn't get it up 150 vertical feet into the king's chamber, completely flat, completely, you know, squeezed together so you can't put a credit card between the stones. And yet people have been given to accept that by this academic establishment, and it's not in one place. It is global. So if you want to talk a conspiracy, do they need to stand up, you know, and talk to each other? No. Conspiracies don't work that way. People are a lot more subtle than that, especially educated people. Well, you know, you can, they, all they have to do is write you know, a few little things and everybody gets a signal. Hey, we don't touch this. We're not going to talk about these elongated skulls. We're not going to talk about any of these enigmas that are out there. We just ignore them. Talk to me about how the, 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 the Great Pyramids of Giza are representative of the three inner planets. Well, if you, even if you look at them, um, you, you stand back and go, wait a minute, why are they such, such hugely different sizes? Well, two of them are pretty close, which the Earth and Venus are. 
I did the math. We, if you read it, I, we can't go into all the math because that kind of boggles people's minds if they listen to it on the radio. But it breaks down to where the Great Pyramid represents the Earth, the Second Pyramid, Venus. They're about the same ratio. I, broke, I put all the, the math in there. And then the Third Pyramid, Mercury. I'm not saying that that negates or competes with the, the theory of Orion. I, the pyramid builders didn't work that way. They worked on so many different levels that the pyramid is many, many different things, in, including being the GPS anchor for longitude. So it's many different things. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't dispute uh, Chris Dunn's power plant theory. Yes, I, that's... It's just a lot more complex, and we like to think linear, and we like to think either or. It's a lot more complex than that, and you have to keep your mind wide open. Uh, one of the fa fascinating uh, aspects that you raise in the book is the idea that Earth was terraformed. We often hear about, you know, if we're going to colonize Mars, we need to we need to create an atmosphere. We need to melt the uh, the, uh, the the polar ice on Mars and release carbon dioxide and, and create an atmosphere. You're saying that there's evidence that the Earth was terraformed and engineered, terraformed. What's give us a few in for instances? Well. What I present, what triggered that in me was partly because we're doing it. And in my first book, The Genesis Race, I suggested that we're recapitulating. We have it in our DNA to do exactly what the advanced race, the bioengineered us, to do. They go around extending life, bringing life to other planets, getting kick-starting civilization. We're already, we're only 50 years into these things. And, well, one generation into space travel, DNA. DNA has been proven it's not that difficult to manipulate DNA. We're way ahead in that. We're finding out that space travel is the hard problem. It's difficult. And I think a lot of people, not just alternative people, but our scientists are already scratching their heads going, I don't think we can do it the hardware way we're trying to. We're going to have to go some kind of portal, a wormhole, some other way of doing it. And we got a ways, quite a ways to go on that. And I think that's what the aliens did. What, because it's very difficult to solve the problem of these vast distances between the planets. Um, anyway, get, let's get back to your point. Right, terraforming, yes. If we're already doing it this quickly, we're already thinking of how to do it. I think you get what I'm what I'm implying here that it's in us. It's just in us. We we're, we're doing these things and very fast going. Okay, where's all this going? What's our real mission here? What's our purpose? And it just comes to terraform. We could, we could extend life to Mars or other planets, just like you said. And that's what I say was done here. And I say the proof is the 30 North Meridian. And the position of the Great Pyramid on that longitude, the, the longitude, the prime meridian, should not be over at Greenwich. There was no reason to put Greenwich as the prime meridian. No scientific reason. They just did it because at that time Great Britain had the political power in the world. It was only done like 300 years ago. But the pyramid shows, it shows you exactly what the planet's geometry is. The Nile, and the Mississippi Delta are exactly 120 degrees apart. It doesn't matter what system of reckoning you use. If you, but if you make the pyramid, then you see it. 
pyramids at zero, you see it's 120 degrees from the pyramid. On the other side, the uh, Yangtze Delta is exactly 90 degrees. You put it in Greenwich, it makes it look like there there isn't that geometry. The geometry is there. And then you have the longest river in the world. I mean, if you see these things from satellite, you see, you know, the Nile is 6,000 miles long. It's running north-south, and there the pyramid sits right on 30 north. And then you go from there, and you actually see that you get to the Mississippi, and the mound builders were, were to the north with the Mississippi flowing from north to south, the Nile going the other direction. They're like inverted mirror images of each other. Mm, yeah, it's too precise. Too neat and tidy. Uh, what about the idea? I, you don't, I don't believe you broached this in the book, but uh, I, I've interviewed uh, a co-authors who wrote a book about, uh, it was called Who Built the Moon? The idea that the moon is one of the most un- mysterious objects in, 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 in the observable, observable universe. And the idea that, it, that it's almost too perfect, the distance from the, the, uh, the earth, that life would not be possible if the moon wasn't exactly in the place that it is, the size that it is. Um, do you think that there's any credence to that, that part of this terraforming may have been the... the, the, the yeah, the, the moon could have been towed into place. Yes. It, it is a very odd object in our solar system because it's very big compared to other moons. The ratio of the moons to their uh, parent bodies, our moon is much bigger than the other moons are relative to the planets. And yeah, I, uh, I agree with them that it... it there's a lot of anomalies about it. Um, you know, it's just the exact right size because it's to to cover the sun in an eclipse because it's the distance so that it just covers. I think we're talking 400 times. Um, it's actually three three hundred and sixty-five, which is you yeah. know the, the days you know, in the so year. Yeah, we have all these very precise things going on for life to be. Here on the planet, everything has to be just right, and it is just right. So you have to then infer there's got to be an intelligence. I mean, it's not the kind of intelligence we can really think of or imagine because it's too, to even to conceive of the planet possibly having been terraformed. Because what I'm saying is you have to, what I'm saying is you have to think of if these rivers are all flowing into this 30-degree north around the entire planet and then coming out at deltas and flowing into the seas, why did the landmass, see, why did this all intersect around this one band on the planet? What makes it so special? Well, then, you know, you start getting into a level of geology where nobody's asking those kind of questions. Right, right. Our scientists don't seem at this point to really want things to be orderly and organized. They seem to want to explain everything in terms of let's go back through a series of accidents to the Big Bang. Right, random. That's where right. nothing came and just all these things were just there and they went kaboom and then here we are. Through a bunch of accidents and then you throw Darwinism in there which is an accident too. Um, I just don't buy that at all. Everything I look at is organized and orderly. Every, I'm looking at nature. I'm looking at at rivers. I'm looking at the palm of my hand. You know, I'm seeing veins. I'm seeing things that are organized. Hundred percent. It all speaks. It all speaks to a, a great architect. Who that architect was? Was it an, an ancient race of uh, advanced uh, extraterrestrials? Uh, was it? 
Almighty God, that's, that's always food for thought. And, uh, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Will, we'll have you back on when we have more time. Ancient Alien Ancestors, Advanced Technologies That Transformed Our World. My thanks to Ian Elbert Ryan. Back next week, back to the old format. Hope you'll enjoy it. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. <laughs>